You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 6 through 10 this morning, so please uh, follow along with me as I read. Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. We ask, Father, now that you would um, come. We believe that you're already here. Trust that your spirit is here. We know we've experienced that already this morning. We pray now, Father, that you would come in a special way, help us to worship you as we study your word. Because we know that worship isn't just music, we know that worship is life. And so this aspect of life coming and studying your word, we just ask, Father, that you would help us to worship you in the midst of it. Reveal to us a, a greater vision of who you are and what you want for us. Come now, Father, please, and um, remove any spiritual darkness. Push that out of this place. Give us your spirit, illumination. In your word to life in front of us, restore places of our hearts that need to be built back up, strengthen places of our hearts that just feel really weak and tired. Um, come and give peace and comfort places of our hearts where we are um, worried and fearful. Come and, and just call us to repentance and give us the strength and the courage to walk in repentance. We've been in bondage to sin just beg you and ask you to come and to reveal Christ, all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his resurrected victory to us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. So everyone wants to hear the words, well done, my servant. I don't think anyone looks forward to a day when someone would say to him or to her, you have done your job poorly. You are an irresponsible servant. Depart from me. I do not know you. I don't think those are words that any of us would desire to hear or look forward to hearing. Deep down inside, I believe, I have to believe, that every one of us has a really deep desire to serve well. We want to excel at things. We want to be successful. We want to be good at something. Right? The bottom line is, I think that we want to be good servants. And when you think about what it means to be a good servant, how, you, how this shows up in your life, it shows up in different ways, I think. It shows up in the, in, in the truth that I think most of us, all of us, married or moving towards marriage, we want to be good spouses. We want to be good parents. We want to be good employees. We want to be good family members. We want to be good students. 
good friends, good Christians, good human beings, etc., etc. I want to be good servants in those roles. But the problem is, is that we also want to be bad, right? It's hard to admit, I think, um, hard to be honest about that, but the reality is that every one of us possesses these competing desires deep down inside of us that kind of compete with each other. We want to be good, but we also want to be bad. Take, for instance, my desire to be physically healthier. <clears throat> I want to be a little bit slimmer. And I want to live a little bit longer. Um, I want to be a little bit more toned. I, don't know. I want to be a little bit more in shape. Really. It's just not the round kind of shape that I currently am. <laughs> you know, I, I want to wrestle with my kids and not be worn out. Feel like I'm beat at the end of it. Lewis, you cannot use that against me. <laughs> you know, I want to exercise more. I want to eat healthier. Um, I, I do look forward to a day when those desires, that desire to be physically healthier, actually is achieved. Like when I, when I meet that goal, I look forward to that day. I think you could actually say that uh, I, I hope in a promise of a future healthier me, right? And that hope of a future healthier me actually then motivates me to do the hard work now. But there's a problem, always a problem because I'm not in heaven yet. The problem is that while I want to be good at becoming physically healthier, I also want to be bad. I like to veg out on the couch and watch TV. Um, I like to eat way too much pizza while vegging out on that couch watching TV. Exercise is painful. It's also time consuming. You can actually put in your schedule. So no matter how bad I want to be good, I still want to be bad. I think Paul, author of this letter to Timothy knows that struggle all too well. He has already explicitly described this kind of struggle in Romans 7. Uh, there's a hint of it, uh, I think, in almost everything that uh, he writes to the churches. I believe that Paul knows that personal holiness, just like physical health, uh, is hard to pursue. Tough work. And so Paul often gives instructions to believers on how to pursue spiritual health, spiritual holiness, you could say, because holiness comes from a word that is synonymous with wholeness. Wholeness, holiness, health. In our passage today, in this passage that we've just read from uh, 1 Timothy 4, Paul uses kind of an image. He uses an image of physical training actually uses an image of a gym and a gymnast and gymnastics um, to help us understand how to become more godly. He says this. He says that while bodily training, that phrase there, bodily training, is where we, from the Greek, get our word for gymnastics, gymnast, gym. While bodily training is of some value, so it's of some value, he doesn't discount that, Godliness is of value in every way. 
as it holds promise, right? Promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So when I, when I first read this passage, I began to think about how much I value godliness. How much do you value godliness? What kind of value does godliness have in your life? See, if godliness is valuable in every way in this present life as well as in the life to come, then the question I'm asking myself and then asking of you is then how does the activity of my life, the activity, the things that you see in my life, how, what does that communicate about the actual value that I place on godliness? How much do you value godliness? Just like physical health, <clears throat> I could talk all day long about how I like to work out, like to eat healthy, and want to get healthy, want to work out. You gotta talk all day long, but words are meaningless if they're not backed up by actions, right? Because actions speak more than words. You could say that the activity of a person's life proves where their hope is found. <coughs> a good servant. You think about being a good servant. A good servant, according to scriptures, possesses a hope that is founded on the work of Jesus at the cross. A good servant, according to scripture, possesses a hope that is not only founded on the work of Jesus at the cross, but also founded on the victory of the empty tomb, and founded on the power of the indwelling spirit, and founded on the promise of heaven. You could basically simplify everything that I just said by saying that a good servant possesses a hope that is rooted in the gospel. Then you could follow that up by simply saying that you will actually know if someone's hope is actually rooted in the gospel if their actions actually match their words. The book of James underscores this over and over and over and over. Right? Book of James. James, the little brother of Jesus, first chapter, basically says, hey, you know what? You go ahead and talk about your faith all you want. Talk about it all you want. I'll show you my faith by the way that I live through my actions. My summary of what James said. See, the book of James basically describes a life of a healthy spiritual person who is growing in holiness, where you can actually witness, you can observe, you can see the faith-filled actions of those believers. <clears throat> Paul's words here to Timothy, then, and to the church in Ephesus, really appear to fit neatly into that same category when he says this. says, hey, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Where I pick that up at. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I think when Timothy heard this, when they read this in their gathering, I think it would have been refreshing for them to hear you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. My, my ears perk up a little bit when I hear that phrase. A good servant of Christ Jesus. Huh. What does that look like? How do I know? What does Paul mean when he's telling Timothy that he's a good servant? How would they know as they look around the room at each other? How would they know that that's a good servant of Christ Jesus? Well, look at the text again with me. We're going to go back there. We're going to kind of dissect it one at a time. 
Look at verse 6 first. I want you to notice that number one, <clears throat> good servant serves up a good plate of spiritual food. I'll say that again. A good servant serves up a good plate of spiritual food. In verse 6, Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now my question is, what does Paul mean when he says, put these things before the brothers? What are the, these things that Paul is referring to? I think the most explicit answer to the question is what Paul has already said in previous verses. Um, in the verses that the Joe preached last week, um, we learned that we are basically to make one another aware of both the false teachings of false teachers and we are to guard and protect and display the true gospel. Like we know that from the immediate context. You go all the way back to all of 1 Timothy and say, well, that would apply too. And honestly, in context, you say all the Bible applies here to these things. To put these things before the brothers. Now, when I think about putting up a plate full of good spiritual food in front of people, I think about um, the image of a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, right? Or go to a new restaurant. Or even a restaurant you've been to multiple times. You get there, you're looking over the menu. <coughs> Waiter, the waitress comes up to you, asks they can take your order. <coughs> oftentimes, oftentimes I'll ask that waiter or waitress to give me a recommendation. Like, hey, what's good? What's good on the menu today? And a good waiter, a good servant will actually steer you away steer you clear of the bad menu options like nah you know it's okay probably don't want to eat that and then steer you towards the really good stuff like hey this over here though this sandwich this steak now you're all getting hungry right this here that's good stuff you should probably eat some of that that's the picture that i see a waiter recommending and warning now i, I would be I would be hard-pressed to call that, that waiter or that servant a good servant if they didn't do that. It's an aspect of serving up a good plate of food. Away from the bad stuff, get after the good stuff. So this is the call on a minister's life. And this is actually a call on, I think, every Christian's life. It's to be a good servant of Christ Jesus who serves up a warning of bad doctrine as well as teaching good doctrine, which leads me to the next point. Number two, a good servant is trained to practice what he preaches. Say it again. A good servant is trained to practice what he preaches. Verse six again, Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. What does he say next? Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Question is like, hey, how, how do you know if a person has been trained to practice what he or she preaches, uh, practically speaking, you see them doing it, right? You see them practicing what they preach. You don't see them not practicing what they preach or practicing differently than what they preach. You see them practicing what they preach. I know I'm just repetitively exaggerating myself here, right? You get the point. Practice what we preach. Well, how do you know if somebody practices what they preach? I think the way that you find out is if you observe and examine their lives. 
oftentimes we shy away from examination. We shy away from observation. <coughs> we turn the church into a <coughs> spectator sport rather than a participatory community. Participation in the community is where observation and examination takes place. See, it would be really concerning. If you go back to the picture of the waiter again and the waitress, it would be really concerning for me <clears throat> if I were to ask a waiter for his recommendation on what to steer clear of on the menu. What should I not consume and what should I consume? If I were to ask him that, gives me his recommendations, and then later on I'm walking down the hallway and I observe that same waiter actually consuming what he or she had warned me not to consume, and at the same time refusing to eat what he had recommended to eat. I, I wouldn't go back to that restaurant, would I? No, no, I wouldn't. Wouldn't want to. So I'd be hard-pressed to call that servant a good servant because his preaching wasn't backed up by his practice. This is why Paul says that a good servant is trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That word followed is an active Thing. It's not just about figuring it out, it's actually doing. Bloop. So a good servant is trained to practice what he preaches. I don't know if y'all could hear that all the way back there, but that was a loud bloop in my... I need to quit, quit drinking out of that bottle. <laughs> it's just water. <laughs> easy, easy. <clears throat> Be reverent with God's word here, come on. Number three, a good servant uh, doesn't eat junk and exercises regularly. A good servant doesn't eat junk and rec exercises regularly. Verse 7, uh, Paul says it this way. He says that a good servant will have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, you will train yourself for godliness. See, think about this. Diet is worthless without exercise. And exercise is worthless without diet, okay? Like, if, you, if your diet is out of control, then all the exercise in the world isn't going to help you much at all. And vice versa, you could diet all day long, but if you don't get your butt out in the gym and do some exercise, you might be thin. You might be kind of trimmed up because you're eating well, sure. But if you don't, if you don't do the proper exercise, then your unseen parts, right, like your heart, your lungs, liver, those kinds of things, not going to be in very good shape. It's the same with the spiritual life of every believer, right? I'm only a good servant, or you could say a healthy follower of Jesus, uh, to the extent that I don't pig out on spiritual junk food, and that I actually exercise my faith regularly. What does it look like for you not to pig out on spiritual junk food? What does it look like for you to exercise your faith regularly to so practically practically what all this all this basically means is that i need to stay away from the junk food teaching and spend time in the gym of spiritual disciplines stay away from junk food teaching get into the gym of spiritual disciplines now what do i mean when i say that well nothing can replace the regular study verse by verse through god's word Nothing can replace extended times in prayer. Nothing can replace silence and solitude. Nothing can replace 
All of these things done in community. Nothing. There's no substitute for those things. Now, it can be fun to study certain topics in God's Word. Um, you can get kind of an immediate sense of gratification as you figure that topic out, right? It can easily be spiritual junk food. Quick fix type of eating, that's what I mean when I talk about junk food. I'm not going to rail against studying topically. I'm just going to simply say the regular verse-by-verse reading through the narratives and the stories and the letters of God's Word, the way you feed yourself. If you eat McDonald's cheeseburgers every night because they're fast and quick and you get the instant gratification of a full stomach, what's going to happen? You're going to get sick. Okay, I'm just going to say, you're going to get sick. We have a tendency to do the same thing in our spiritual disciplines. So nothing can replace those things. Nothing can replace uh, reading, feeding on the Word of God, putting God's Word into practice. How do you put God's Word into practice? Through confession of sin, through obedience to God's instructions done in community where there's observation and examination taking place. So a good servant doesn't eat junk. A good servant exercises their spiritual disciplines regularly. Which leads me to the next thing, number four. A good servant values, trusts, and accepts the gospel. Say it again. A good servant values, trusts, and accepts the gospel. Verses 8 and 9, Paul says this. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here's the thing. We value what we trust and accept. Think about that. We value what we actually trust and accept. Okay, if if I don't trust something, if I don't accept something, then the truth is I will not value that something at all. The things that I don't trust, the things that I don't accept, those things do not find a prominent priority in my life. Illustrate this way. Um, I don't fully trust, and I certainly do not fully accept that broccoli holds the promise of a healthier life. I just can't. I can't do it. It's gross. Okay? You got to drown it in ranch if you're going to eat it. And then why even eat it at that point? Because ranch is unhealthy. I'll go eat me a burrito or a burger. I do not trust, I do not accept that broccoli holds the promise of a healthier diet. Now, my, one of my daughters, Gracie, loves broccoli. So there is broccoli in my fridge. Um, now, this is my stance, obviously, even though many people much smarter. Okay. Now, I will have to say, I do like what Stephanie Shade does with broccoli. I don't know what she does, but it makes it taste good. I think Stephanie can take anything that doesn't look or taste good and make it taste good. I don't know how you do it, but I'll probably eat hers. Back to the point, though, you're probably not going to find broccoli in my fridge. You're not going to find it on my plate very often. I don't value it. It doesn't hold a high priority in my life because I don't trust. I don't accept it, regardless of how many people write books about it or tell me about it or preach about it. I just like it if you practice what you preach, which, again, I'm thankful. There are some of you in the room who do that really well. I don't. 
eat broccoli. I don't trust it. <clears throat> this is why I think so many proclaiming Christians today don't exhibit spiritual health. Right? We talk, we have no action. This is why I think a lot of proclaiming Christians today don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. We struggle to value what we do not trust or accept. You see, when the waiter, it's the Spirit of God, Spirit of the living God who left the tomb empty, He comes and He stands at the edge of our table, the edge of our hearts every day, right? Serving up a platter of really good spiritual food for us. Nice helping of spiritual warnings and spiritual instructions. Don't we struggle to fully trust, to fully accept the plate of spiritual food that's being offered to us? Yes, we do. Why? Good. Why? <laughs> Why does this happen? Why do we reject the training we need? Why do we struggle to feed ourselves on the Word of God? Why do we for instance, why do we trade gospel community for an evening on the couch feeding on junk food of our TV or our tablet or our video games? Why would we trade that? Why, why would we want to consistently run our lives on tilt too fast, doing too much, running ourselves into the ground? Why would we do that rather than spending a bunch of time in silence and solitude and just making ourselves still before the Lord? But we can then live and operate out of a place of peace. Why, why would we trade? Why? Just write W-H-Y down somewhere. Why? The why question is so hard for us to ask because it feels condemning maybe. I don't know. It's important for us to ask though because we don't do very good diagnostics. We just make big fat excuses. Or we play the blame game, right? We kind of like, we just don't deal with the issue. So why? Um... Why, why do we make phone calls or when, when things are going bad? Why do we make phone calls real quick? Why, why do, or why do we hide in our activity, our busyness, rather than stepping into the hard work of just communing with God through prayer? I think part of the answer is I just said it. It's hard work, right? It's hard work. And we don't get immediate gratification quickly either. Now you think about it, go back to the analogy of the gym. Like I've been working out for a couple of years now. My diet, that's the issue, to be honest with you. but. It's hard work. Got to give up something to engage in that spiritual discipline. To sacrifice. Why shouldn't it be? My Savior died on a cross for me. Like, this, this, this should not be a huge sacrifice for me to engage in those disciplines, right? The other answer from our text, though, um, to go back to the point of this, um, point number four, um, I think if you put it in the negative, it's just simply that we don't value what we do not trust and do not accept. Do you value godliness? And we do not trust or accept things that we do not believe to be true. I, I no caveat because we're doing the truth project. Um, this has been on my mind since then. Let me just ask you this question. Is something true because you believe it? Or do you believe it because it's true? Like, if something's true because you believe it, then we got issues because that means that you and I create truth. Okay? So you're either going to believe something because it's true 
or you're just not going to believe it. And, and that's part of the issue here is belief. We do not trust and accept things that we do not believe to be true. So in short, we do not believe, if this is a struggle for us, what we don't believe is we don't believe that the promise of the gospel is both good now and forever. That's the issue. That's the core root of the issue deep down inside. If you're trying to trace the roots down, to figure out, my issue is my unbelief of the gospel. My prayer needs to be, Father, I'm, I'm struggling to believe. Help me to believe. See, we might find out that we believe that the promise of the gospel was good for getting us into heaven. But then we might find out that we struggle to believe that the promise of the gospel is good for everyday life. Right? We, we might think that the promise of the gospel was a good appetizer, but then we forget or we reject that the promise of the gospel is actually the main course. The gospel is the main course for training in godliness, and training in godliness is hard work. And it should be because the gospel costs Jesus' life in a horrible way. Which leads me to the final point, number five. Number five, a good servant works hard to grow in godliness. A good servant works hard to grow in godliness. There are many in the Christian church today um, who really seem to reject the hard work that we uh, need to put into following Jesus. And what they're rejecting really is a notion of hard work that uh, says that you can earn God's love through that hard work, and that's, that's what needs to be rejected for sure. But then I think what happens is people throw out the hard work aspect altogether. They just think, well, this should be an easy, passive thing. I just sit back and gaze up at the heavens and wait for Jesus to come back. That, that's not it either. We don't work hard to earn. We work hard from a place of what we've been given freely. What we've been given freely then sets us free to then work hard to grow. Okay? Uh, verse 10, Paul says this. says, For to this end we what? Toil and strive. Nobody ever said the Christian life is going to be easy. In fact, if you read the entire Bible, you'll find out it ain't going to be easy and it could cost you your life in a very bad way. We Americans like to translate things into the scriptures that uh, say something different than what the Bible actually says. Should be hard work. Should be a risk. Should cost us something. For to this end we toil and strive because why? Why would you want to work hard, right? What does he say? Because we have our hope. Oh, I have hope. Set on what? Set on the living God. God is alive. He's not dead. There's no tomb for him. In fact, if there is a tomb, still it's empty, right? That's what we set our hope on is the living God. He's alive. Satan couldn't beat him. The grave could not hold him. And sin has no hold over him either. Jesus beat all of those enemies. And he's alive. That gives me great hope because it gives me a future picture. But to this end, we toil and strive. We work hard because we have our hope set on, focused on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. It's kind of funky 
in the uh, Greek and the way that this comes out in the English, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe, doesn't mean that Jesus saves every person who's ever lived. Just going to get you off. I'm not going to go into it a whole bunch, but if I think you put this together well, it's just simply saying that God is the Savior of all people who believe, okay? Especially those who believe. There's, it's just a, there's, there's lots of, um, I don't know what the word is, attention on the fact that God is the one who does the saving because he's alive. So the reason that we work hard to feed ourselves spiritually healthy food the reason that we work hard to exercise ourselves a whole bunch in spiritual disciplines is because we trust. Because we trust, we therefore hope in the living God. We don't work to earn something we can't earn. We work hard to grow in and to walk in something that we have already are. Because in Christ, you trusted in Christ, then you are godly. And his work at the cross and his victory at the empty tomb that's what makes us into spiritual giants. And once you get that picture in your head that you are actually a spiritual giant with the authority of the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you can face anything down. Lastly, I also want to say, I think we often want to see the negative things about ourselves, don't we? When you look at your image in the mirror, when you look back over your life, when you think back over this last week, when you just think about last night, I don't know what it was for you, but when you survey, when you start setting up mirror images, isn't it easy just to kind of like get focused on all the negative things about yourself and then try hard to motivate yourself by that negative picture? I think it's easy for most of us. I, maybe a few in the room that have this one beaten, but I, I find this to be a struggle. I see myself through the lenses of my failures rather than through the lenses of Christ's completed work at the cross and the empty tomb. See, I'm not going to grow in godliness by focusing on my ungodliness. Think about that. I'm not going to grow in godliness by focusing on my ungodliness. I'm not saying we don't need to identify that, confess it, repent of it, but if you focus on your ungodliness, it will not produce godliness in you at all not going to get physically fit by looking at my unhealthy appearance in the mirror right i'm going to become more physically fit by focusing on a what a future picture of a healthier me that's what creates the hope which enables me to do the hard work so likewise i'm not going to do the hard work of growing in godliness by focusing on all my shortcomings, I'm going to do the hard work of growing in godliness by focusing on Christ's perfection. When I see how perfect Jesus is, when I, when I see how willing He was to give His life for me, when I, when, when I see all these things about Jesus, I am then given the strength and the power to step into the running shoes that He's actually placed on my feet. This is what it means to have my hope set on the living God and be chasing after God. When my hope is set on the living God, then I am and you are set free to work hard to grow in holiness. So in conclusion, I want to say a quick summary. When you think about this picture of good servant, 
And the picture that I keep seeing is Jesus at that cross. And right before he went to that cross, he knelt down and he, he took off his robe of power and authority. And he, the scripture tells us that he showed his disciples the extent of his love for them. How? Took off his robe of authority, knelt down, and started washing their feet. Right? That's a picture of a servant. And what Jesus has done for you and I so well is he has served us. He's washed us even today through the preaching of his word. Jesus has served you so well. Such a good servant. And every time I mess it up in whatever role I'm in, whether that be pastor or husband or dad or friend or employee, whatever it is, when I mess it up, I don't have to focus on my mess up and my sin. What I get to focus on is, hey, Jesus was perfect for me. And that then enables me to actually motivates me to actually become a little bit more like Jesus. Not in the moralistic sense where I'm like, oh, I gotta get my life together so I'm perfect. It just seriously enables and empowers. A good servant serves up a good plate of spiritual food. Hasn't Jesus done that for us in his word? My man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus is the word of God become flesh. He's fed us so well. A good servant is trained to practice what he preaches. Now you look around this room, and there ain't one of us in this room that does that perfectly, is there? Is there anybody in here that practices what you preach perfectly? No, every one of us in this room is a hypocrite at some level or another. Every one of us. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that Jesus practiced everything perfectly for you and for me. Not so that we could just try to become better moralistically. That's worthless. He did that so that he could pay the price for our sin and our mess-ups, which ultimately will strengthen us to become better. That's a great message. good servant values, trusts, and accepts the gospel. Struggle with trusting the gospel? Struggle with accepting it? Struggle with valuing it? Of course you do. Every time you veg on your couch, right, for too long, you're probably valuing something more than the gospel. Every time you or I sin, we're valuing something more than the gospel. But Jesus valued the gospel because he's the point of the gospel. Makes sense. He valued that perfectly so much so that he was willing to leave his beautiful place in heaven the suburbs you might say right beautiful place in heaven not much crime there at all came down to this stinky nasty place to hang out with dirty old us save us because he trusted accepted valued that good news so well good servant works hard to grow in godliness. One thing about Jesus is that since he's perfect, he didn't really have to grow, but he still had to grow. It's kind of an interesting, strange thing, right? There's a point where he's like 12 years old, he's in the temple, I think, and um, one of the things that we see the scripture saying is that he grew in stature and something else. Wisdom, obedience, thank you. So Jesus still grew in some way, but his growth was perfect. When we talk about being good servants who grow, we're going to get this wrong. But Jesus even got the growth part perfect. Again, it's incomprehensible to me because when I think of growth, I think of it in a sin perfection type relationship. But Jesus just grew perfectly. 
That's what Jesus did. And that's where I want to keep my focus. Because when I keep my focus on the Jesus who is perfect and gave his life for me, man, it enables me to grow up. It enables me to keep moving forward. So in summary, I said this earlier, say it one more time. A good servant possesses a hope that is rooted in the gospel. That was the summary at the very beginning of the message. And I believe you'll know if someone's hope is rooted in the gospel if their actions match their words. And the only way that our actions are going to match our words is what? In a circular sense, by rooting your heart in the power of the cross, the empty tomb. And that's why we end with communion every time, every Sunday. It's to leave you at the foot of the cross in the doorway of the empty tomb. It's to leave you and I in a place of healthy biblical application. Rather than saying, go out the door and do all these things now and make yourself a better Christian, we just want to point your attention to the power of the cross and the victory of the empty tomb. Amen? We'll pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for our time together. We pray, God, that as we close, that you would come and continue that work in and among us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.